0: Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Vlog, I'm Adam Otenko. With me, as always, Mike Minkoff.
1: Adam, Adam, Adam. How's uh, how's it feel to be back in uh, a healthy, rewarding relationship with the Celtics?
0: Oh, it's, it's definitely rewarding. It's mutually beneficial. I'm not sure it's healthy because I am obsessed. And uh, I don't think uh, swinging the pendulum to the far side on either side makes a lot, whole lot of sense in terms of health.
1: Yeah, I wasn't gonna. Uh, I wasn't gonna cast aspersions, but yeah, that's fair.
0: <laughs> I'm enjoying this though. Holy cow! Josh Motenko is not with us today, Mike. Today, you and I, we're going to talk about the last three games. We'll talk about Tatum. Uh, is he in the MVP conversation? Fans were certainly chanting so uh, in Boston against Brooklyn. We'll talk about Ime Odoka and his coaching. Where does he rank in Coach of the Year? Uh, and we'll get to some standings watch uh, before looking at the next few games. But let's start, Mike, three wins against Atlanta, Memphis, and Brooklyn. Uh, A huge, huge win against Brooklyn. This is the uh, most impressive stretch of the season so far, as as far as I'm concerned, because we won three in a row against good teams.
1: I mean, look, we were on this podcast last week saying that this was a prove-it week, and we were hoping that Celtics were going to come out with two wins against what we knew was going to be a tough kind of, uh, gauntlet of, of teams. Um, you know, I was both excited and terrified, uh, before the week started about our matchup against John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, at the time that we recorded, we didn't even know that Kevin Durant was going to be back for this game. There was indication that he might be. It was hopeful. It was possible it was going to be his first game back. It happened to be his second game back. And it doesn't matter because Kevin Durant is an alien that is uh, put on this planet solely to play basketball and put the basket, the ball in the hoop. Uh, He's unbelievable and terrifying when he's on the opposing team. Um, Despite all of that, we came out of this week three and O you know, particularly on the back of, of Jason Tatum's stellar play elevating against John Morant and Kevin Durant. Horford had an unbelievable game against Memphis um, and really just the entire kind of base aside from maybe the first half against Atlanta, which was a little touch and go. I mean, I guess the first half against Memphis was sloppy as well. Um, you know, it's just the, the, be- the ability to truly believe this team is something of, you know, contender level substance. It's it's hard hard not to palpably feel that at this point.
0: Yeah, and especially um, impressive with Jalen Brown going down with an injury, uh, missing part of the Atlanta game, missing the entirety of the Memphis game, and then I would assume not at full strength coming back uh, his first game back against Brooklyn, and then of course without NeSmith too. Which and that's the big thing that I've been saying. When you, when guys go down, we ha, there has to be a next man up mentality, and we have to continue to do to play well. And that we have not been doing that um, up until now. So that is another piece that is like I've been waiting all season for that, uh, and I love seeing that.
1: So if you if you were to take you know highlight one takeaway from these last three games, I mean beyond I guess maybe this next man up uh element you know is there anything that particularly stood out at you to you from the three games about the team about the way we played about
0: yeah there's a there's a level of grit and resiliency um and a focus um and a consistent effort that just wasn't there in the same way early in the season and that's what we that's we all talked about how frustrating that was it, you know some games they would have a consistent effort but um, but they would the other team would go on a run and they wouldn't be able to come back and and they, you know, they might be fighting hard, but they're sulking a little bit or they get out of rhythm. They your turn, my turn with Jalen and, and Tatum. They kind of stop running the offense in the same way. they're They're not fully together on a string on defense really, really early in the season. This last stretch, it's like not only are they doing all of those things, they're playing pretty consistently 48 minutes, full games. Huge effort. They're like, if things are not going well, they're going to buckle down on defense and try and get offense from that. They, the team keeps talking about generating offense from defense, which the idea is uh, that if they create turnovers, they and or um, create misses, that that allows them to fast break uh, and then they get easy buckets. Uh, in addition to that, Ime Odoka, he's his system and what he's been preaching all year, and he's been talking about this recently, is he wants them to run the offensive system that he has, which there's certain actions that they like Tatum in, but it's not like, oh, you're hot. You're, you're going to score 50 plus. Just go do your thing. Go isolate. In fact, the defense that they run is predicated on creating, having the, the offense playing against them, try and hunt for mismatches. So if Peyton Pritchard is on the floor, they're going to try and, and switch and then go one-on-one against Pritchard. Well, The Celtics' best players, it's really, really tough to create mismatches because they're all such good defenders, and they can all guard so many different positions, both smalls and bigs. Um, And one of the things that I love about that is it reinforces the idea that the best offense is not, even against a team like Brooklyn that has the best one-on-one offensive players in the league, the best offense is not to go one-on-one against mismatches. It's to run a system, to get the defense moving, and to get open shots. And, and so I love that their defense is supporting the idea of their offense to shift mindset, as specifically for Tatum and, and Brown. And so they're, they're gritty, they're defending consistently, they're running the offense the right way, um, and they're just kind of doing everything right, and I think maximizing their potential, and they're creating a tremendous amount of confidence as a result.
1: Yeah, this team, I mean, this team reminds me of, incidentally, a lot of the early Brad Stevens teams in the way that Mm -hmm. is playing with a resolve and a resilience and a kind of commitment to the, the greater team and playing, you know, a system that enhances uh, the collective rather than settling for ISO. Um, And it, it particularly reminds me, and, and this might blow your mind when I say this of the, the bubble team in the playoffs. That's not the mind blowing part. The mind blowing part is that that was only 18 months ago. Yeah. It actually wasn't even 18 months ago. It feels like seven years ago. <laughs> but,
0: yep, and it was actually um, two seasons ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was two seasons ago. But Wait, it no, was, three. Three seasons uh, ago. No, well, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, The season before last. Uh, And yeah, it was in September. I just looked up the, the bubble date. The final started September 30th that year. So it was wow. like 18 months ago that... Uh, not, not quite that the Celtics were in the Eastern conference finals playing just like this, but again, like the, the, the level of playmaking, um, from Jason Tatum in particular, the maturation, um, of the, the collective wasn't quite at this level, but the cohesiveness was, and, you know, I think when I was saying kind of a, a contender level substance to this team, that, that's kind of what you were saying, Adam, is kind of what I was thinking. Like, this team knows who it is now. And it knows who it is in a way that that suggests a, a true unflappability. And it's, like, completely flabbergasting in the best possible way as a Celtics fan that this team went uh, from, from a team that in fourth quarters, it felt like, you know, if the slightest gust of wind blew, the entire structure would topple. Mm-hmm. To one that can withstand like hurricane hurricane force winds, mm-hmm. and I don't know how they did that in two and a half months. I think it's a credit to Udoka, it's a credit to the players, mm-hmm. it's a credit to the entire organization, uh, for for having kind of a, a level of metal and and collective resolve built on individual resilience and resolve. Um, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's just awesome. It's it's so delightful to be able to talk about this type of team instead of the team we were we were struggling to enjoy uh, for the first few months of the season.
0: They are 19 and 3 in the last 21 games, they're 13 and 2 in the last 15 games. In that time they were destroying bad teams, blowing out bad teams, and the question that we had and and the criticism that some people some fans gave was, can they do it against the good teams? Well, now they're showing that yes, they can in three uh nationally televised games as well. So if you're not getting up for those, uh there's something's wrong. Um here's the question for you Mike, what happens when, Wednesday night when they go on the road to Charlotte or the night at, uh, two nights after when they come back home and play Detroit again?
1: Look, I already told you I'm not I'm not worried about duds the way they had right before. Yep. Um right before the all-star break. I mean, and they had one against the Pacers too, um, last, last Sunday, but that was again, the third game in four nights, second night of a back-to-back that's, that's one where if, if you, if you're someone that had read those kind of Baxter Holmes, like preseason schedule loss articles that he, he wrote, uh, in the years preceding the, at least the whole pandemic situation, which, you know, Put all of that on its head. That one would have been like a, a preseason schedule loss, right? But um, no, I think this team is kind of again, it just it found itself in a way that 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 makes it more less susceptible to to letting up on on a game like this Charlotte game or the the subsequent Detroit game. I think this team is really locked into a mindset of, of, you know, competing against itself as kind of Ime has been preaching and not not letting the opponent dictate its performance. I think they're really locked in on being the best version of themselves. And, you know, Jalen came out after the Nets game and said, we haven't hit our peak yet. You know, I think they're continuing to try to push and grow. And and at this point, I think we we owe them more than the benefit of the doubt. But we've actually seen the evidence that they're going to keep working. They're going to keep working. They're going to try to solve the problems. They're going to keep seeking to improve. Um, and, I, and I think that's manifested on multiple fronts. And I don't, you know, is it possible that we lose kind of a close game or or have a bit of a letdown? Of course. Yeah. Um, but I, I expect us to be pretty locked in and ha- have a really strong showing in both of those games.
0: Yeah, you know, I expected you to have that response, and I am almost in full agreement with that. I have a little bit of fear still that about about a letdown, but if I had to put money on it, I would bet that they don't miss a beat for the rest of this season. So, Adam. Uh, and And, yeah, I, I was just going to – I hope this is the transition you're expecting, but – um, a big piece of this, especially when Jalen Brown went down, I before, have a question, no. Before okay. we
1: transition to that, where I know you're going, I, there's one thing that we've talked about. We, you and I talked about it two weeks ago. We we mentioned it a little bit with Josh last week. The uh, the maybe they weren't so silly after all. Five thirty eight and you know all in one prediction metrics for for the NBA season. So 538 Raptor has the Celtics as having the best chance of any individual team of winning the finals at 18%. The Bucks are second at 16%. Suns are third at 15%. Uh, ESPN's BPI has the Celtics as having the, the second best playoff BPI, uh, Basketball Power Index, uh, behind only the Phoenix Suns. Um, do you believe those are more accurate than we originally than we originally allowed ourselves to believe
0: no i i still believe the same thing we, we you know brooklyn brooklyn had kyrie and and kd and if you watched the game live you you heard steve nash talking to their huddle about we haven't played together yet we're going to make a lot of mistakes that's okay we're going to continue the effort though he was preaching effort knowing that they are not a cohesive unit yet they're missing ben simmons as well uh, Harden and Embiid are gelling really nicely early on, but when you make a trade like that, it takes a little time to to get everything set. Um, and you know, uh, Phoenix is missing their best player. Um, I until I see this team in the playoffs um, having the kind of impact that they're having in games against Milwaukee when they're gunning to, to repeat as champions. You know, p- potentially in the first round or second round, um, and then playing a team like Philadelphia in the second round. Like, I, I need to see them against the best of the best when they're at full strength, and and it's winner go home. And this these playoffs are going to be really, really tough in the Eastern Conference. We're probably going to have three really tough series just to get to the finals. We are, and and right now, and we're not going to have much at this point. We ha- don't have home court advantage, so. Um, And I'm sorry, but I I still value star power in the playoffs. And we've got two, but uh, some other teams have three. Okay,
1: so let's move this forward. There's there's a nice transition here. So what were you going to say, Adam?
0: (laughs) Well, when Jalen Brown went down, I started wondering, is Tatum going to try and put the team on his shoulders and score every time and go one-on-one? And I think Josh mentioned, I think it was on the, the Celtics blog Slack, but that Seeing Tatum play after Brown went down, seeing him continue to pass out of double teams, find the open man, run the offense, that he's hoping that he he gets it. And and I mean Tatum just won player of the week with three amazing games. So I, I want to throw it to you to to talk about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, he had three amazing games. Uh the past two games in particular, as where he went head to head with and and was clearly better than in those games. Uh, John Morant and Kevin Durant um, against Memphis. He was, had a line of 37, six and five against the Nets. He was went for 54, uh, five and three. So in the past two games averaging, you know, just a cool 45 and a half points, five and a half rebounds, four assists um, over the past six games. So since the all-star break, he's, he's just been kind of scorching. So his post all-star game, He's played in six games. He's averaging 34 points per game, seven rebounds, 4.7 assists. Um, his true shooting since the All-Star break has been 6 6'10", whereas it was 5'53 pre-All-Star break. He's up to 37% shooting post-All-Star break, 47% from the field. Again, it's only six games, small sample, but he's been dominant in effect. And, you know, it it's gotten to the point where... I've been hearing a lot of chatter about the MVP race and who's in the top five. And to be clear, Jason Tatum is should not be the MVP of this this year. There are three clear front runners: Nikola Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They are in kind of a, a tier unto themselves. I think any of them have an argument based on team record and advanced stats and just how dominant they are on the court. Um, But then you have all of this chatter about other players like DeMar DeRozan and how he's helped carry Chicago and John Morant and and how impressive um, the Grizzlies have been. You have Steph Curry and how, uh, obviously, especially to start the season, he helped elevate the the Warriors and their position in the West. Um, His net rating is still extremely impressive. The on-off with him is really jarring. Uh, But they've also struggled mightily without uh, a healthy Draymond. And so I started kind of looking into this. I think there's kind of multiple layers that, to me, make it pretty clear that Jason Tatum should be in the conversation for the top five of the MVP race. He won't be a top three, but I think he should be four or five. And, And I'm not really sure how an argument, when you look at it, like, who makes more sense than him despite what I just said about like Morant and especially if he kind of continues not quite at the level he's been playing the last six games because I don't think that's sustainable Mm -hmm. but just at like a slight improvement from what he was doing pre all-star which I do think is realistic so you know just a couple of statistical elements first since uh, December 31st so that's we're talking about an over two-month sample NBA net rating leaders that have played 30 minutes per game and at least 20 games over that period. Uh, there is a Celtic number one in the league. It's actually not Jason Tatum. It's Marcus Smart. We wow. love him and we trust him. Um, <laughs> he, he, he hasn't, uh, he's, he's played like 23 games or so in that time. He's obviously not going to be the MVP. Jason Tatum is number two at plus 17.4. Number three over that period, Chris Paul. Number four is actually Robert Williams. Number six on the list is Jalen Brown. uh The other guy, a few other guys in the top ten are Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic. So that says a couple of things. One, it says the Celtics as a team have just been ridiculously good since December 31st. um I'm
0: Blowing teams out.
1: It, we're, we've been blowing teams out, and it's been a collective effort. You know our starting our starting five and particularly that core foursome of of Smart, Jalen, Tatum, and Robert Williams is just dominant. That's all very good news for us over the long term. Um, but Tatum obviously is, is a major factor in in our team's success and and is the head of the snake so to speak. Five thirty eight Raptors wins above replacement has Jason Tatum as second in the NBA behind only Nikola Jokic. So. That wins above replacement includes total minutes played. Um, So if you just look at overall Raptor and kind of isolate this to, to players with at least 1,600 minutes played on the season, Tatum is still fifth in the NBA behind Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, and Steph Curry. Then, I mean, there's the eye test. He's clearly you know, playing with more assertiveness, um uh he's staying within the system more reliably. There are some numbers that kind of support that. If you look at Tatum's assist rate by month, it was in throughout twenty twenty one, it was basically eighteen assist or eighteen percent assist rate. Um I think one of those months he was eighteen point three in November or December um in 2022 it's been 21.8 percent 21.1 percent and so far in march it's 24.6 percent obviously that's just a couple of games so the team has elevated as a whole tatum um and the way that he has improved on playmaking he's his shooting is is getting slowly better it was it was better in january it wasn't actually all that good in february uh it's it's ticking up again in march um On top of that, and one of the key distinctions, and and to me the most important factor uh, in separating Tatum from like a DeRozan or a Morant, is that Tatum is not by accident part of the number one defense in the NBA. He's a very, very, very good defender. And that's one of the things that elevates all three of Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in the MVP conversation. I mean, Jokic is the best offensive player in the NBA right now, what he's doing is truly insane and underappreciated. Um, but all three of Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis are, are plus defenders. And that brings him a tick above. John Morant is a minus defender. DeMar DeRozan still a minus defender. Um, LeBron James maybe could be in the conversation, but that Lakers team is an absolute disaster. Uh, Steph Curry could be in the conversation, not a plus defender. So... You take all of that, and then the other piece I would say that we've seen from Tatum. And this is my last little factor is in the last month or so, maybe just in the last few weeks even. We've seen uh, what I th- what I think is obviously a very intentional effort by Tatum to increase his presence. Um, he he had an extremely I mean we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he had an extremely kind of mature, interesting. Uh, interview on JJ Reddick's Old Man and the Three podcast. Hmm. He had a recent interview with Sham Sharania, where he again chronicled and, and talked about kind of his relationship with Jalen Brown, and he's kind of learned how to control the narrative um, and, and kind of us, you know, bring his voice and perspective into these situations. And that's it's it's really uh, an impressively mature. and and level voice that he's bringing on some topics that have been like a point of contention or frustration or consternation among Celtics fans. So to me, when you take all of that together, like, I think Jason should be in like the the four or five spot of the MVP race as things stand right now.
0: So how I mean, the MVP is a, a regular season award how much emphasis do you put on the first half of this year for the Celtics being a 500 team?
1: I mean, it's a, it's a full season award right now. We have the fourth best net rating in the NBA. We're moving up the standings. Um, we're playing clearly. We've been the best team in basketball by pretty much any way you slice it for over two months. So it's not irrelevant, but it, we weren't the worst team in basketball because Tatum was like terrible
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like he was still pretty good. We were still better on the court without him. Like um, if we didn't have him, imagine what we would have been those first three months. So, So, so it, I don't think it, it doesn't help him obviously the same way the last couple of months have, but I don't, I don't think it's like the reasons we weren't playing that good were also not because Tatum was being an absolute disaster. He was, he had some issue. The ball was sticking with him, right? His playmaking wasn't nearly as good. There were, there were all sorts of bad habits uh, from him and others that, that needed to get kind of uh, shaken loose. If he had been playing the first three months of the season, the way he's been playing the last two months, he might be in that top three. Like he's been playing, he's been that good the last couple of months. So, so I think it matters. And it's why I don't think he's remotely in the conversation for top three but there's no, like, I just don't see how he's not right in the conversation with, like, Curry, DeRozan, Morant, LeBron at that next year.
0: That's a, I mean, it's a really interesting take. Uh, and what do you expect the the national media, the people actually voting, to think about that?
1: Well, obviously, I have the ear of all of the national media analysts. So I expect they'll give this a lot of thought. Um, no, I, I mean, I think... I think that we're probably two or three weeks away from this being the conversation in the national media. If the Celtics continue to play like this. Wow. That, I mean, I could be wrong, but especially if like the Lakers keep kind of being in this nebulous no man's land, but like, you know, LeBron would be one, an obvious person to potentially be in front of him. LeBron's had a great statistical season, but the Lakers are like five games below 500 Durant. Durant, Obviously, like, despite what happened against the Nets, if I were to pick one player for a seven-game series today, it would be Durant over Tatum.
0: Easily, yeah.
1: Uh, if I were to pick one of them for the next five years, that's getting to be a trickier conversation than I expected it would at this point in Tatum's career, frankly. But... Uh, Durant missed so much time with his injury. I, you know, he's not going to be that high in the conversation. I don't think, unless the Nets make a huge run at the end, just because he's healthy, then maybe maybe his value is so clearly demonstrated. Um, Chris Paul is missing a lot of time, but I think he probably was going to be shortchanged, frankly, for how valuable he is, uh, because of his his lesser statistical profile. Um, Doncic could get into the conversation too, um, uh, because he's incredible and. Uh, the Mavs are similarly making a push. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I do think that Tatum taking increasing kind of his voice in in these kind of very public forums like the Old Man and Three podcast, like the interview with Sham Strania is probably a bit of recognition on his part that he wants to be in the national conversation on stuff like this a bit more than he currently is. And and if I remember correctly, I think his his mother studied like sports brand management or Mm. something along those lines, right? She has a I mean she's I think she's a lawyer and an MBA, like she's she's incredibly well suited to help (laughs) a young uh, NBA superstar navigate his superstardom from like a brand uh, cognizance perspective. Um, So he's got really good advice advice in his in his corner. Uh, when it comes to stuff like this, but I think I think there's a, a, an intentionality here, but I think there's also a maturation in his ability and willingness to come forward and and kind of bring a real a real savvy and thoughtfulness to the con- the, the conversations he hit, is having. I, Adam, do you have? I mean, do you think that's like an outlandish take? Are you are you con- compelled at all, or
0: if you take the Celtics in their recent streak since the new year, it's not crazy at all. I think if you look at the team, the way that they're playing, and you go, well, who's their best player, and what's the difference between their first and second best player or first and third best player, I think Tatum needs a lot of credit there. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to short shrift Jalen Brown here. Like he's, He's been phenomenal as well. Um, but they have two stars, and there's a drop-off after that. Uh, and and so that means that Tatum is really shouldering a huge load and getting a lot of uh, attention, especially on offense. Um, so and and you know what you said about him being a two way player that's real and I think often overlooked, especially when we get into some of these end of the season awards, and and you get guys you know like Trey Young last year or other players that are really on one side of the ball, um, that that are in the conversation or the top four. Of MVP voting, uh, I think more weight should be put on playing both sides. Uh, so I think Tatum's getting there. I do think that he's gonna be hurt by where we end up in the standings at the end of the season, which is gonna be largely based on the first half of the year. And this is a full like year award, regular season award. Um, he has played but, most but of the Jokic, games too. So Jokic
1: Jokic is sixth in the standings, like, and he might get hurt too. Frankly, by that, like that might be why yeah uh Embiid ends up winning or Giannis ends up winning over him because what jokic is doing is impossible he, like it doesn't make any sense
0: he is having uh his i can't remember these stats came out a, a couple weeks ago but his his plus his net rating is like 14 or something like that and uh, his his on off, I think it, yeah, his on off
1: splits are like plus twenty one right. or something ab- absurd. But, but the uh, which is between... partly because the the bench is is weak. But go ahead.
0: And that's the big thing. That's exactly where I'm going with this. The difference between him and the second best player on that team, Jamal Murray, is obviously great. But he's he's been injured all year, um, and Porter Jr. also has been injured all year. <clears throat> the difference between Jokic and the, the second best player is why he should be considered. He's. The, there hasn't been as large of a difference since like the early to mid 90s between one player yeah. on the team and and their second best player that is insane and jokic is having a off the charts offensive season um i was listening to i can't remember uh it might have been the thinking basketball podcast and they were talking about how um jokic is, is like having an all-time great uh career offensively like he's just doing things that that are insane. And then there's little things like his offensive rebounding is, is amazing on defense. He's, he's a league average player this year. He's not a minus on defense. Uh, so he's just, I mean, it's phenomenal what he's doing. And, and the fact that they're in six places is, is saying something given the injuries they've had.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he's crazy, but I guess that's enough about, uh, Denver Nuggets players, uh, on the Celtics focus podcast.
0: So. Emi Odoka, Mike, I mean, progression throughout the year he got them with a uh, having a defensive base. He he is uh, well. One of the things that we didn't really talk enough about, actually, uh, that relates to Ime is I love how he is challenging Tatum to stop like little being the little brother to the other uh, best players in the league. Uh, and and he spoke about this in his press conference. Yeah. Uh, that that Tatum is what did he yeah, say? Yeah, he
1: said he said Tatum is taking the alpha approach. And this is yep. this feeds into kind of obviously what I was saying about his increased increased leadership uh, voice and, you know, Tatum just asserting himself more. Um, but I, I wanted to save this nugget for when we spoke about Udoka, because I think, <laughs> you know, and it, it's a shame that we don't have Josh on the podcast with us this week. He He has long espoused the value of coaches that you're worried can actually beat you up. And and and, <laughs> and I'll let Josh speak on that further in a future a future podcast. But uh, Udoka brings the the ability to kind of in a very legitimate way, like like he said, you know, what was that in our third game of the season or or whenever it was when we got punked, right? When Udoka yeah. says that, I think, you know, NBA players feel embarrassed and NBA superstars feel embarrassed. And he can he'll go in Tatum's face and be like, Yeah, you're getting a little brothered. Right? You need to you need to man up. You need to you need to assert yourself on this game. This is a grown man's game and, and no one's gonna give it to you. You gotta take it. And we are seeing the growth from Tatum and this team in how to approach the the you know, how to bring that mindset set game to game. Obviously, Marcus Smart always kind of brings that mindset except you know Marcus Smart brings it kind of like the the chippy little brother that always feels slighted which is great you need that energy you love that energy but it's different when you're when you have the that big brother potential like Tatum does but you're not you're not playing with that big brother mindset and now he's starting to and I think Ime um, deserves a ton of credit For helping the team kind of find find itself in that way specifically, Um, what do you think,
0: Adam? I completely agree. I've just been so impressed with what Odoka is doing. I mean, the the big thing around that Tatum uh, like man's game thing is it's just a a, an identity shift from that. I think he's had a a, a, in a he's made progress in his whole career. From coming into the league, going like, "Where do I fit in this league?" Let me let me uh, uh, put a stamp on on who I am in this league. Uh, to impressing people, to dunking on LeBron and going, "Oh wow, I belong here." To LeBron uh, a year or two later going, uh, "He's a problem." To playing in the Olympics and having Durant say, "That guy's a bucket," and basically like, "He's next," um, and and basically having other people anoint you and, and praise you. Uh, and, and he's getting that feedback, but he's still thinking of himself as below that. And when that shift happens where he goes, no, I'm the best player on the court, when he's playing with those other guys, like I think, you know, against Brooklyn and, and he, Tatum likes going up against Bradley Beal. He likes going up against some of these guys that that like, like in that Brooklyn game. So it, when, if he can come away from that game going, I was the best player on the floor. I'm going to be the next time, even when Kevin Durant is on the floor or Kyrie who who uh was kind of a mentor to to Tatum in his rookie season. Uh he, Tatum certainly looked up to him. I, I think that's the big shift and I, we don't know whether that has happened already or is in process of happening or is still yet to happen. But when that does, I think that I I don't I believe that it hasn't quite happened yet. When it does, that's going to be huge and I think Udoka's who really helped him along in that way.
1: Yeah, and so i i yeah i agree i mean i think i think it's the type of you know like there are there are only so many people out there like you know mj was or kobe was right where they're just all no matter what believe that and are like kind of yeah. sociopathic in that belief um and tatum's not going to be that like that right like But so I think it's always going to be a little bit fluid and on a spectrum, and it it might need some the right type of people around him to help reinforce that at times. But I think he's getting to a place where where that, you know, being locked into that mindset is more and more stable on that on that kind of fluid spectrum, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I didn't even talk about Odoka's actual coaching. In, in, I mean, that's part of coaching for sure. But just the way that he's implemented systems and the progression that they've made and how the team has bought in. I mean, it it took a little longer than fans may have wanted, but that was not that unreasonable amount of time. Yeah. So what we're so that now.
1: gets me to to a key question I wanted to ask you and I wanted us to t- talk about. So like, you know, again, the first three months of the season very frustrating. Not the results people hoped, um, and you know you even you who had uh more muted expectations than me and my expectations weren't like outlandish i didn't expect a championship but i was a little rosier based on the off-season moves than than you were uh of what the team team would look like you know it was still a disappointment to both of us for sure over the first few yep. months and in turn right ime received a lot of criticism yeah. like a lot of criticism and there were people calling for ime to get fired within the first two to three months of the season. But even Which beyond was ridiculous that, like, at the time. I think, I think, yeah, I, right. I was going to say, I think we can easily both agree. Like that was never warranted or appropriate. Um, But there were, you know, there were things with his rotations. There were things with like, and lineup choices and not playing the young guys, etc. So uh, my question is how, you know, given how the season has evolved, if you're to take a moment to reflect, like, was was any of the early season criticism of Ime fair, and if so, what what do you think was?
0: It's so easy in hindsight to say no, uh, th- it was not warranted, it was not fair, because <laughs> look at what they're doing, <laughs> look at the progress <laughs> that they're making. It this, I mean, this whatever it took to get to this point. I was thinking about this this morning, and I, I wondered, like, were there points where Udoka was worried about his job? where he was thinking things aren't going well this is not good for me uh, where he was concerned at all or did he just kind of say this is what i'm going to do and I, i'm confident in it and because things were ugly <laughs> at the be- you know midway through the year this team was not looking like a team that was going to win a playoff round and they were looking like a team that might not even make the playoffs and they were looking like a team whose future was in jeopardy and now they're looking like a team that could make the finals potentially But that certainly should win one maybe two rounds in the playoffs and make the conference finals and has a super bright future uh so it's hard to argue with the results and it's hard to complain about the process when you're talking about three months uh for a head coach who's never done it before i I don't is there anything that you would uh think that any criticism that was fair before
1: no, I mean, so what I've uh, the reason I wanted to ask this question is like I've seen at least on like Celtics Twitter, you know, some people saying like how they're so happy with Udoka now. But there there still were some things that, you know, they felt like Udoka was doing poorly at the onset that he deserved to be criticized for. um, I, And I I just I think there's two things to it one is or maybe three things and actually um john hollinger and nate duncan on their on the hollinger and duncan podcast touched on this and the way they kind of evaluate uh coaches they did a, a coaches ranking podcast mm-hmm. uh recently or like the first part of it um and hollinger said this right he was in the grizzlies front office for a while um and he talked about availability bias and how it's very easy to be biased based on the data that is available to you when evaluating coaches. And the data that's eval- available to us as fans is the in-game decision-making, right? The rotations that, that, that are being deployed, the when they're using timeouts, eight, you know, after timeout, play calling, things like that. Uh, what's not available to us as fans is the day-to-day relationship building and relationship management um, with players, the way they're talking through and going over, you know, new schemes, implementing new schemes, going over film, um, help, you know, learning players' tendencies and players' mindsets and attitudes, and how to help a player in a given set of kind of, you know, behavioral circumstances and conditions grow in the way that. Will help the player achieve their own goals, within while also supporting the team achieve its goals. Right? There's so yeah. much more that goes into being a coach and a head coach than just those in-game decisions and those lineup choices. Um. And so one thing that frustrated has always has frustrated me with all of the like criticism of Udoka is like. I mean, fans are incredulous, like, and we're no better, right? We have this podcast. We're obviously not, like, professional. Like, we don't have a a professional career or background in in working in the NBA. But, um, you know, fans do a great job of of assuming that they know better than the people that are are paid a lot of money to do this stuff, as if there aren't lots of other really qualified people people competing for these jobs that only mm-hmm. a select few get uh but like this dude was hired by brad stevens who i think everyone generally agrees knows a thing or two about coaching in the nba he worked under <laughs> uh he worked under steve nash he worked under doc rivers and he, oh by the way he worked under greg Popovich, probably the greatest head co- nba head coach of all time like there's a reason he's been employed <laughs> In the NBA. So it always seemed incredulous to me that fans were like, no, he's a bad coach. It's like, I I think he was hired for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like he, and maybe, maybe we just haven't seen the fruits of that. Did he make perfect decisions all the time? Of course not, especially in some of the stuff that we observed. And I'm sure he'd acknowledge that. But I also think there was probably more method to some of the choices he was making on an in-game basis even at the time that may have felt wrong to fans, like some of the decisions, uh, you know, I think the Dennis Schroeder lineup choices are probably the the biggest pain point for fans this season. But even that I, I feel like that was a probably related to commitments or promises the organization made to Schroeder when we signed him in the off season and probably belief that Udoka had about how he can help players buy in uh, and adopt kind of this, Type of system we're seeing now, and I bet he felt like the way he's gotten uh, Tatum and Brown to shake out of some of their old habits, he could have done the same with Schroeder, and I'm not convinced that's incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I I I think I guess so. No, I don't think a lot of the early season criticism was fair, um, and I'm glad uh, that we're seeing Udoka kind of get the recognition. Right, he was the coach of the month. I, um, yeah, clearly well-deserved. The team has been, you know, just insanely good of late. Um, and, and obviously the way that he has resonated with the players and he holds them to account and he's been in their ears and he's been tough in public, which I've seen people criticize still saying that that was still like that still should be criticized. Why? Like, yeah. I think that worked for this, these players and like Brad yeah. didn't do that enough. And I think that was a problem with Brad Stevens coaching style. And Brad realized that he, he wouldn't do that. Like that was not who he was, but it was probably something that was needed. So I, I just, uh, I really wanted to ask this question just so I could be like, why are we pretending like we know what makes a good NBA coach better than, you know, Greg Popovich and Brad Stevens? <laughs>
0: What about rotations? And he's had short rotations all year. What about that? Could, can we criticize him for that?
1: Again, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I was never as high as you were, as adamant as you were early in the season about our need to play the young guys. I'm glad that, I'm glad that Pritchard is playing more, and I, I think Pritchard is playing very well I think there were opportunities to make some subtle, some different choices. He he probably could have moved away. He almost certainly could have moved away earlier from, you know, the the closing lineup that included Schroeder, uh, along with what well, was I think it was Smart, Brown, Williams, and Horford. That was that was that performed really poorly in most of those fourth quarter collapses we had. That was typically mm-hmm. the lineup we had out there. Um, but I, there's also a part of me that that genuinely believes, and I argued this on the podcast earlier, and I still think it, like I'm not. I think Udoka, if given more time with Schroeder, probably could could have gotten him playing less and less in his old habits and more and more in the the preferred system. Now I don't think Schroeder ever would have been the ideal fit, and I think we clearly should have moved off of him, and I'm happy we did. So, I don't want to like get that misconstrued but i but I think if you're if you're a coach that believes you can build really strong relationships with your players and can get through to them and can help coach them and guide them into maximizing themselves with for themselves and within a team concept, then that's gonna inform the way you make decisions on a day to day basis and um so I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can separate it all that easily, necessarily.
0: The success is certainly there right now, and we'll see what happens uh, as they close out the regular season. I love what you said. You know, Brown saying we haven't reached our ceiling yet. I think that's absolutely true. They're still learning to play together. They're still learning how to stay with the offense. I think uh, I loved hearing in the post game from the Brooklyn game Brown and Tatum talk about uh, Robert Williams being the guy that still has a level to go and that if he can hit that, that that's going to be huge for this team. Um, should we talk about standings, Mike? Because I've started watching.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've been, I mean, I've been watching since November, so.
0: <laughs> well, there's been a lot of movement in the just the last week so uh right now the celtics are uh in fifth place but they started out in sixth place a week ago philly moved up also from number three to number two chicago moved down from number two to number four having lost four in a row milwaukee moved up from five to three I'm already cleveland today. moved down <laughs> i know right cleveland moved down from four to six uh
1: We're and by the way we're recording this on on monday evening while chicago and philadelphia are playing each other so
0: I, I'm wondering if we're, it feels like we're starting to see the standings shake out a little bit. Like I, like if things ended around where they are now, it wouldn't surprise me. Like the fact that Chicago, not that they lost four in a game, four in a row, but that they moved down in the standing based on their point differential. That kind of makes sense. Philadelphia moved up and their, their differentials increasing just because of the addition of Harden. Um, Cleveland, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't see them as the same level of contender as the teams above them right now. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, you know, are things kind of settling in here where Miami is is going to stake their claim to number one, Philadelphia is, is going to end up at two, Milwaukee around three, or maybe in a slightly different, you know, three, two for the two of them. Uh, Chicago kind of in the middle of the pack, and maybe they're fighting for the fourth seed with us, with Cle- Cleveland rounding it out at six. Uh, and the difference between six and Toronto, Cleveland at six and Toronto, it's three games now at the number seven seed. So uh, well, what do you, you think ask, about
1: that? If you ask 538, I know, I go to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they would have Miami at number one. Uh, their projected record, 55 and 27. Philadelphia's projected record, 52 and 30. The Bucks and Celtics tied at 50 and 32. Um, and I believe we have the tiebreaker, uh, but but whatever. One of us would be third, the other would be fourth. Uh, the Bulls at 47-35, and 35, the Cavs at 46-36. and 36. I would say that order feels right um, to me in terms of um, where teams deserve to be slotted based on how they've played this season and based on how strong I think they'll be in the postseason. Uh, Not that that is exactly how things will play out, but um, I will say I'm, you know, this is not the ride I predicted to get there, but I'm feeling pretty good about my Celtics coming in fourth in the East. I got a lot of things wrong about how I picked the East. I said the Bucks in Brooklyn would clearly be one and two. I said the Hawks would be three. Uh, so I have very few things to point to as correct in my <laughs> East standings prediction, but I might've gotten the Celtics right by happenstance. Um, I I do, I do think there's a reasonable chance, especially if the bulls health issues like Caruso and uh, ball continue to stay sidelined. I could see the bulls continuing to slide the Cavs slide. I think, you know, they're two and eight in their last 10. Um, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think I, I do think we could catch up to the Bulls and and pass um, and we'll stay ahead of the Cavs. So I would I would put us at fourth and maybe, you know, maybe sneaking into third if things really break right for us.
0: It's interesting to, to watch Miami. Uh, do you think they're going to stay at number one, which the risk there is that they end up playing Brooklyn in the first round? Or do you think they'll they'll try and manipulate manipulate where they end up in the standings?
1: No, I don't think they're going to try to manipulate yeah. anything. Um, it, uh, frankly, of all of the teams most likely to manipulate their position in the standings, it's going to be the one that is helmed by Daryl Morey. He is uh, he is the only one that literally has no respect for the integrity of kind of winning and losing on a game to game basis. In my opinion. Um, Uh, he, he will, you know, he's, he's that guy in any game that will like look for any kind of backdoor shortcut, uh, to maximize his odds where you're like, that's technically not against the rules, but it clearly violates the spirit of the game that is Daryl Morey. And so he would absolutely try to end up in third instead of second to avoid the chance of like Brooklyn winning the play in and having a them as the two seven and maybe it's the right choice to make but it it totally spoils the um the spirit of the game the spirit of competition do you do you do you do you think that's an accurate You're, an accurate read
0: i'm smiling i'm just smiling at what you said <laughs> i'll leave it at that <laughs> i would li- i would like you i would
1: like you to uh, elaborate on that smile adam please for the audience
0: i think the four seed will be coveted uh, and and because of the home court advantage. I, I'm liking where the Celtics are looking to end up here in the three to five-ish seed. Uh, it allows them to avoid, to me, the Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and uh, Miami teams, as well as Brooklyn. Uh, and I like a, a slightly easier first-round matchup. I, would, I feel like it's going to be easier against Chicago or Cleveland or Toronto.
1: Yeah, I mean... It's looking it's looking good. I haven't looked at let me pull it up now. I haven't looked at the Celtics remaining strength of schedule. There was a I stretch. I think it's
0: sixth or something. It's it's not it's somewhat high. But Yeah, it's, it's seventh. Uh, it's
1: seventh yeah. right now. Milwaukee, Milwaukee has, has the hardest and yeah. and no, Chicago now has the first. Milwaukee's fourth. So again, like those are the two teams right ahead of us in the standings. So I would and, be I would be surprised if we didn't get up to fourth.
0: Well, here's the thing with that strength of schedule, Mike um the games at the end of the year for us like the last two games are against milwaukee and memphis and depending on what's happening and and chicago those are the last three games chicago milwaukee then memphis so we may there may be some some daryl moring of the of who's playing in in those games depending on on how things go
1: i hope not i i really i i'm embarrassed for you adam that you're not brave enough to admit why you were smiling um but that's I,
0: okay. I, look I I, I just I, It's gamesmanship. I I think it's interesting. I like I kind of I like Daryl Morey for it. I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that I would do the same thing. <laughs> uh I think it's a little funny <laughs> that he does it. I also uh, I don't think I have as confident a um a way of saying that that's who he is as you are and I was kind of smiling at that as well. <laughs> you you don't really
1: after he literally just like Manufactured James Harden quitting on Brooklyn with you know completely unacceptable levels of back channeled uh, communication.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm aware.
1: You, you don't think that's a fair assertion of what what is in Daryl Morey's character?
0: I wasn't sure if you were you know looking back at at him uh, sitting players at the end of the season, uh, but you know it, it, it aligns with that for sure.
1: Yeah, no, more just how he's generally operated and the t- types of thing he says in public and the the way he acts. And
0: yeah, I,
1: I just he's he's very much a gamesmanship er.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. Next three games. We already kind of talked about this, but at Charlotte, then at home against Detroit and then Dallas. So Charlotte and Dallas are, are playoff teams. And, this, you know, if you include the uh, play in tournament, Detroit's been beating some good teams. Uh, so, uh, and Dallas is, is on ABC. Um, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens in those games. Uh, both will, of us, expect will Luca, no Luca
1: beat us with yet another game winning three for the third time in a row.
0: I don't even want to think about it. And I'm, I'm upset at you for reminding me, <laughs> I I'm going to say, no, we're going to be ahead enough. We just need to have a six point lead. <laughs>
1: They've been playing so then well. Can take that They've step back to the left. The, the Latvian laser is, is back in form.
0: <laughs> the Latvian laser is that uh, who was that?
1: Davis Bertans. <laughs> is
0: his three-point stroke back?
1: <laughs> I believe I believe it's back. I think he's back, like shooting over forty percent. With uh, <laughs> well,
0: you're excited about uh, Porzingis in Washington, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I was. Uh, I live in the D.C. area. I was at I was at Porzingis's uh, opening game against the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Uh, on Sunday evening. Yeah. He had a, he had a huge, huge block. He had a huge alley oop. Uh, my girlfriend roots for the Pacers. So, you know, wasn't, wasn't ideal, but (laughs) it was, it was fun to see the unicorn in action.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, stay tuned everyone. If you continue listening to this podcast, you are a part of Celtics pride. Don't forget to rate review and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics pride pod. Individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. This has been Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.